Welcome to the first episode in an old season of Amazing Race Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who likes to think outside the box, accompanied by hand actions, Logan Saunders. <laughs> Good afternoon. And the lady who frequently tells her husband not to fuck with the man, Michelle Pierce Denovan. Jesus Christ. <laughs> What's that? I'm assuming it has to be Flo. It can't be anybody else, but yeah. <laughs> that was Flo in the car. Basically, my tactic is anytime you join us on these podcasts, I'm probably going to give you a flow quote just because oh, flow is amazing. <laughs> God. And the first question I have to ask is this was Logan's choice of the season. So, why did you pick this one for us to do as, uh, as the first Tarstorian? Why this season? Because it has the most nostalgia for me, of, other than probably season two of the american version of the mole i i think these are like the two seasons that have the most nostalgia for me in terms of the reality tv universe i would say and it's been 19 years now since they filmed this season and i think there are a lot of podcasts and blogs and stuff that go over the first season because people always want to revisit the the first one and then, of course, a lot of those people are going to maybe do the second one, but I don't think anybody's going to make it to season three for nostalgic purposes. So it just seemed like a seemed like a good season to experiment this with. And also, more importantly, we're just not acknowledging the existence of American Mole anymore. It's dead to us. <laughs> After it went on Netflix, like, it's dead to us now. We don't care anymore. I have to say that since... Um, I don't remember everyone on every race like you guys do. I was just writing down the teams as they came on and I went, Jesus, this is a stacked cast. Like it's all the old names that everyone talks about. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know they were all together. It's an absolute murderer's row of uh, of contestants, this one. Mm. And, it's, and it's 12 teams and it's not like, because whenever anybody's been exposed to 12 teams over the past decade or so, there's always some sort of twist that, knocks them out even before the first pit stop. In fact, the American version, this will happen multiple times whenever they decide to have 12 teams again, after season four, that is. Mm -hmm. But here, this is this and season four, they're going to do a proper 12-team format, not screw anybody over with some sort of unfair twist, which also knocks down the number of non-elimination episodes, which is really good because after the first two seasons, there were a lot of complaints of, oh... They do so many non-eliminations in each of the first two seasons. Plus, this is before there will be non-elimination penalties. So it's just these episodes that are viewed as a waste. Like, absolutely not even a speed bump. Nothing. So the fact that we get one, one less non-elimination episode two and one additional team, I think, made a lot of people happy at the time. Well, the good news is... The non-eliminations this season are not going to be controversial at all. <laughs> Everyone's going to be super happy with what happens in every single one of them. Yeah, that's the other thing to point out too before we start is that what's crazy is that the first two seasons had a very rigid non-elimination format. You knock out the first half of the teams who you view as who or who production presume would be weaker would go in the first half of the season. And then once you get down to six to build up that suspense you'll alternate between non-elimination, elimination, all the way through to the end of the game, including final three. People forget about that, but once upon a time, we had non-eliminations at final three that were probably viewed as some of the most boring episodes ever. 
just because everyone knew like, well, no one's going to go home and no one's going to get penalized or anything. And they pretty much have to be equalized for the most part before they go to the final destination city. So what's the point? <laughs> but here in season three, not only is there going to be one less non-elimination, but it's going to be the first time where they don't alternate non-eliminations at the end of the game. So it's the biggest twist they do for the whole season, which is kind of funny to think about when you think of the twist they try, they try every season now. Like there's not going to be head-to-head, there's not going to be express passes, intersections, march for elimination, U-turns. Yeah, I guess that would be the big one. No U-turns or anything. Even though it's already the third season, it's not quite like Survivor, where by the third season they were already doing switches. Here it's just, ooh, instead of going 5-4-3 for non-eliminations, it's 5-5-3. Five, five, oh, 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 that's that's crazy talk, producers. <laughs> I have to say on the subject of the non-eliminations, I love all three of the non-elimination episodes in this season, which is something I cannot say normally. Yeah. I really like them all. Especially that surprise one. It's the one that's the it's when they do two in a row that really gets people because even today they don't do I think the last time they would have done consecutive non elimination legs was when they did the final four twist for seasons twenty five and twenty six. So people tend to forget that too, that once upon a time they could do back to back non eliminations and this was the first season to do it, one of the few ones that, that did it. So where do we begin? Um, not California or New York, surprisingly. <laughs> I think this might is this this might be the only season that doesn't use New York or California in the same season, where neither neither location gets used. Now you're testing because I've not got my phone next to me to quickly check these things and make myself sound intelligent. Yeah, because it's the first thing I wrote. Because I'm like, well, season season two had had San Francisco as the finish line. Season one had New York City. <laughs> season four had Dodger Stadium. And then I just kept going through. I'm like, well, after that, I guess season six had Chicago for the start and finish, and season nine would have Denver. But in terms of having two separate starting line and finish line locations and have neither one be California and New York, this might be the only season where that happens. I am going to have to quickly Google it while you start talking, I think. It, well, it started, and I'm like, they're in flooded plains, and I'm like, this is so unusual considering what we have now. It's always, you know, a big city somewhere. Yeah, they take them out to the middle of the of the Everglades. Like, they take them on these boats to get them as far away as possible, and then they have to drive all the way to the Miami <laughs> airport. And I'm thinking, yeah. now would be a start in downtown Los Angeles somewhere, or like when they do for season 32, Hollywood Bowl, and then take a cab to the airport. This is... We're going to take you as far away from the local airport as possible, and then you're going to have to drive all the way to the airport and encounter massive traffic, and you're not going to do any sort of sponsored task involving the vehicles either. Like, they don't even mention what type of car they're driving. Have you guys been to the Everglades? No. Nope. I have. (laughs) Okay, coach. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be one of them things all season where, where we inevitably just go, have you been there? I have. I think between me and Logan alone, everywhere apart from Mexico, at least one of us has been, I think. And I'm supposed to be in Mexico by September, I'm hoping? Yeah. By the time that this comes out, there is a very real chance that Logan could be in Mexico already. I've had one month in Mexico City on my bucket list for like four or five years. I think I keep mentioning that. (laughs) 
and that is why we're recording these so early. <laughs> so Logan can go to Mexico, and we don't have to worry about it. And one thing I'd like to point out is that there aren't any, even though we have Derek and Drew as models, there aren't any real actors or recruits, as far as I know, for this season. Much like seasons one and two, this is as ordinary as you get for a, for a cast. These are quote-unquote real people. <laughs> Just on the point we were discussing, this is the only season that um, doesn't touch New York or uh, or California and starts and ends in different places. Different. And what's great about these early seasons too is that the rules aren't super duper refined because that's the downside of any reality show really is that when production goes through an experience that they don't like, um, Michael and I have been talking a lot about this about season mm-hmm. 21 as I've been blogging it is that when you have to keep refining the rules based on things that happen, that the race has to play out in a very linear and repetitive fashion. That has to happen. Mm. That, that's just I think that's just an inevitability. So one of the good things about going back to an early season, like season three, is that weird things are allowed to happen because rules aren't refined over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So th- things that people have forgotten about, like pe- you're going to see people even in the first episode pay money to have locals take them to the pit stop. That's a rule that's going to be gone by the end of the first All-Star season. They're going to get rid of that. And then they're going to be given cars where replacement cars c- can be a frequent thing if they want want it to be. Like even within this first episode, we're going to see the provided cars break down multiple times through no fault of the teams. <laughs> it's something we brought up on Hunted a fair bit in the Series 1 rewatch as well, is the the lack of rules in Series 1 especially, and especially compared to Series 5. Because I think it opened my eyes a lot. Weirdly, we're recording this, what, five days after we spoke to Rob, which should have come out about a month before this now. But it was really interesting to listen to what Rob was saying about how Series 5 ran, and in terms of, there still aren't that many rules on Hunted. There's guidelines, and there's certain things that they obviously are and are not allowed to do, but there still aren't actually that many rules even five series in. Yeah, and that's going to be the same thing we're with the Mason Race too. Even if we were to do Season 5, you're, there aren't really going to be too many too many rule changes by then. It's not until you start getting into the teens and stuff where it's like, okay, why are all these seasons so damn linear? And that's just because of it, just because it takes, it takes a while to get into situations that producers really don't like and want to avoid, such as not letting teams eat, mingle, and, and sleep at the pit stops anymore together. Mm, that's sad. Or letting a team be detained in Morocco. Yes, So yeah, we begin in the Everglades, actually at um, an airport, weirdly. They they don't make this obvious, but it is actually Dade Collier Airport, which isn't that far from Miami in the grand scheme of things. It's in the Miami-Dade County area. And we meet all the teams. Everyone likes them. Let's be honest, it's a cracking cast. Yeah, if I were ever to watch another reality TV season, one thing I want to pay attention to is how they do intros now because here all the team intros are really really quick because because i think next season is when they start doing 90 minute episodes as the tradition for a while i think they do that from like season four through 10 i think is what happens 
and I think sometimes the premieres are two hours long. Here it's still a one-hour episode, so they have 12 teams to introduce, and since they do it all before the starting line, as opposed to now where they just sprinkle it throughout the first episode, it's like, boom, here's Heather and Eve. They're going to have three quotes, move on to next team, two or three quotes, boom, Dennis and Andrew, boom. Like, and you're not going to really make one team have a longer intro than than the other team. Everyone gets pretty much an equal amount of time. It's not even like season 21 where Caitlin and Brittany get two seconds, but uh, Amy and Daniel get 45 seconds for their intro. I do have to point a couple of things out about the team intros, though. One is that it is wonderful to see so many of these teams back because it is, as we said, a murderous row of teams in this season. Mm. Two is the fact that we get Flo and Zach talking about this being the first time that they're both single at the same time, and it could be a test for their relationship, and then they immediately follow it up by doing Derek and Drew. It's a brilliant little sneaky editor's joke if you know what's going to happen this season. Especially when Derek's exact quote is, Drew likes to likes to talk to people, especially if they're female, and then Drew's like, yeah, flirting is absolutely a strategy I tend to exploit to get far. Heather and Eve get the first intro somehow out of all 12 teams. Like, oh, everyone's going to look at us and see the attractive female and think, oh, they must be ditzes. And then, what was it, Eve says, we're very intelligent, we're going to play into the whole helpless thing to get guys to help us. And then when you think of the first airport scene, and then what happens during the Portugal self-drive leg, it's like, oh boy, this is really setting them up for something special. (laughs) And of course, the iconic Gina and Sylvia quote, fear no man, be terrified of a soccer mom. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, earlier all-female teams on the Mason race. I know during this season that we're obviously going to say a lot about certain teams, not mentioning names, Flo and Zach, Ken and Gerard, but I think I'm probably going to be mainly championing Terry and Ian this season. I love them so much. I'd forgotten how much I love them in this episode. Ian is just an absolute delight, and Terry is just an absolute delight, and they're going to start annoying people from next episode, and it's going to be delicious. Yeah, what's funny is this episode, you think, oh yeah, this is when people at home were really thinking that Terry and Ian were both kind of jerks, especially more so Ian, and it's like, well, first two seasons, the older teams were never competitive. Here we get the template of what an older competitive team would look like because I think Bill and Kathy, Bill and Kathy are the last older team to be cast during my season 21 Tar Storing blog. James and Abba were one of the oldest teams to get cast over the past 10 years. And then you go through all the ages. It's like, wow, they, they cast a lot, lot younger than they used to. And here we have Terry and Ian that are going to be one of the, one of the very, very few older teams to be viewed as extremely competitive. And, you know, if a team is older and they're competitive, they're not going to be the most easygoing team. They're going to have to be, they're going to have to be pretty damn intense in order to keep up to everybody else. Yeah, the oldest recent person as of the time of recording, I think is probably Scott in uh, 28. What? Really? I can't think of anyone in their 50s who's been cast since him. Rupert. Oh, yeah. I think for the, yeah, because I wrote down the ages of like anyone who's been over 50 that have been cast since uh, since James, James of James and Abba from season 21. And I think it's there's been three or four 
people where like both were like both teammates were 40 and over and one of them was 50 and over. Yeah, because it's very rare we get anyone over the age of 40 now. Never mind 50. Yeah, that's the thing. And then here we have Terry and Ian who have one of the oldest combined ages of any team ever. And it's like, well, yeah, they they can't be easy going. You're going to have to get a guy who's like, who's just really intense, serious, former Vietnam War vet, undercover cop. And then Terry, who is, I think, quite underrated and is just as competitive and intense as, as Ian or Ian. Coming into this rewatch, I'd sort of obviously remembered Ian as being very intense. I hadn't remembered how intense Terry is in this premiere. Yeah, like she's just as intense. Like she, I know Ian's going to refer to her as his co-pilot in the, I think at the start of the fifth episode. But it's like eh, she's not really a co-pilot. She's in it just as much. Like they're going to get into confrontations with Flo and Zach. I think in the fifth or sixth episode too, where it's like, whoa. Terry's in it just as much as Ian is. You know what's funny though? You two saying she's intense, and I'm thinking she's totally normal this episode. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm older now, but I'm just thinking she's totally fine. I have to wait to get in a bit more, obviously. Terry, by sort of midway through this episode, does have the quote winning is everything, winning is fun. I think yeah. you can at least say she's competitive. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, I don't think too many older teams have the quote, winning is everything. It's like, okay, Terry and Ian clearly aren't just going to want to be the older couple who's in here for the experience. They both have a lot of experience, <laughs> especially Ian being in the freaking Vietnam War and being an undercover cop. It's like, no, they, they want to win this damn thing. Mm. Two more points on the teams. One is new drinking game immediately. Drink every time Jill mentions her brother from 9-11 because I will be counting it during the season. It is a lot. And two is obviously, I would be remiss if I didn't mention one of Logan's favourite teams ever, Tramel and Silesia. Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Why yeah. are they, why are they your favourite? I think they were my favourite from when the season originally aired like 19 years ago. Me and my, me and my uh, sixth grade school teacher, I would actually talked about Tramel and Silesia in each of the first two episodes. Hmm. Huh? Especially if you remember, like, Tramel's bio before the season started was one of the most ridiculous bios I think anyone has ever submitted to Amazing Race. Like, on the, when they, on the official CBS website at the time. He did not take it seriously. He probably just got someone else to do it for him because of how, you know, lazy he is, according to this episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. And then... Uh... And then one thing to really, there are two things that really show that this is a very, what was this, 2002, fall of 2002 this aired. So, of course, 9-11 happened less than a year before this filmed, hence why we get a team of John Vito and Jill, where Jill applied with her brother who, who died in 9-11. Mm. So they, and then Andre and Damon, of course, firefighter and cop. I, are Andre and Damon based out of New York? I want to say they are. They're LA. LA? Okay. Ah. Because I have the note here saying Andre and Damon are friends from Los Angeles, which my word processor tried to change to Leon and Lana, which shows how long it is since I've done any Amazing Race notes. <laughs> but yeah, they, because they get nicknamed Team 911, which is definitely a reference to 911, being, being that they're firefighter and cop. Could it not just be a, a reference to the emergency number? It could be too. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it's probably a bit of both. I think that's more likely. 
And then uh, Denison, Andrew, of course, get a storyline that feels very, very outdated by 2021, which is father and son. Father is a Baptist church preacher, I think. Where I think Dennis is a Baptist church preacher who is trying to come to terms with Andrew being gay. And I'm thinking, I don't know if you could really find any team to apply for Amazing Race who would have that same storyline, you know, 19 years later. This is very much something that could only exist, I think, in the early 2000s. Mm. Especially as you then contrast it with Ken and Gerard's introduction, where it's just like, yep, yeah, I'm gay, move on. And yeah. that's it. <laughs> And I think Aaron's sexuality isn't even mentioned at this point. No, I don't think so either, actually. It's just a very interesting contrast, not just between 2021 and 2002, but also in the first kind of five minutes of this episode. It tells you exactly how they are going to portray some of these teams. Yeah, Dennis and Andrew are from the South. Aaron and Ariane are not from the South. Guess which team doesn't have somebody being gay as a storyline? Of course, this is just a one-hour episode, so as we said before, we get a lot of these very, very quick intros, and very memorable intros, really. We also get Michael and Kathy being the, I think they were the first long-distance dating couple, too, so we get that. And then Talisha referring to Tramiel as a genius, who doesn't put any effort into anything, but Tramiel says it's more efficient, because when they have to be competitive, he's going to go really fast, but that's not going to play out too well this season. Ken and Gerard have one of the most memorable intros, and Gerard does most of the narrating with their intro and leading the whole contrast between the two of them. Gerard is Republican, Ken is Democrat, Gerard is straight with kids, Ken is gay without. <laughs> that intro is probably one of the best ones we've ever had. And we get a much, a noticeably younger Phil, who knew that guy would age over the course of 19 years, especially him having a Bright blonde hairstyle, which I don't think we're going to see for too many more seasons after this. <laughs> mm, and a necklace. Yes. Yeah, he's almost, uh, his hairstyle is almost like you would see that of a guy who missed out on being in a boy band. <laughs> and then, of course, we get the classic Terry and Ian head turn in the actual <laughs> intro, which I have to point out, although we don't see it for a few minutes. <laughs> it's delightful. I know we talk every premiere about the iconic head turns and how no one has ever done it better than Terry and Ian, but <laughs> nobody's ever done it better than Terry and Ian. It brings me joy every time I see it. I know it's like, there's the head turn, there's the goddamn head turn. <laughs> it's just so brilliantly emblematic of Terry and Ian because it is the world's most intense head turn. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch it, it more closely now. I think even Mario Lance in the Funny 115 brought in the tyranny and head turn multiple times because it's it's not like the intros we see now in all the seasons where they like to have teams who are trying to be playful with the camera and try and be more and more playful with the intro it's like no tyranny and did that head turn completely synchronized and they weren't trying to make a joke whatsoever like that is completely their personality is it a head turn straight into blue steel i'm gonna have to watch I don't know how to describe it, honestly. It's just, it's something you do have to see to believe. But it's just delightful. <laughs> but something else I also have to point out on this topic is only three teams do not do head turns in this entire intro out of 12. Aaron and Ariane, I assume, is one of them, since they're like playing with each other while rollerblading. Yep, Derek and Drew, Aaron and Ariane, and Andre and Damon. Yeah. <laughs> and 
what's funny is that Phil's initial initial speech doesn't really vary during the first dozen or so seasons. I think once we get to about season fourteen, he's gonna start switching things up a bit more. He's 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 not asking questions to teams like, oh, Shamel and Talisha, what do you think about the father and son at the other end? What do you think about that guy being a Baptist church preacher? Kind of crazy, huh? Like he's not doing any of those questions. It's just, oh, here's the spiel. It's like he's trying to explain the rules to the audience who aren't really familiar with the show. And the music isn't as booming and powerful, too. And it's not a live start. You're not going to have random locals gather to cheer on the teams as they leave the starting point, either. It's very, very, it's stuck to a very specific script. The best thing about Phil's intro is he asks who who will come up with the right combination of brains, brawn, and strategy to win the million dollars, which is his traditional question. The best thing is, knowing the result of this season, the fans aren't necessarily going to agree with <laughs> which team has the best combination of brains, brawn, and strategy to win the million dollars. Yeah, because that whole because he used to do that at the start of every season. Because because usually the intro, the starting line is always with the teams. It's the most Phil does is on his own now and saying, "Oh, we're here at the." Hollywood Bowl or we're here in Times Square, let's meet the teams. It's not who has the right combination of this, this, and this. And then, uh, of course, here we have Phil saying, all you have to do is run to your bags, open up the clue, read what's in the clue, and then get into one of the marked vehicles. What you do after that is completely up to you. I assume that speech is pretty much gone because, A, they don't really drive themselves to the airport anymore, and B, what they do after that is not really completely up to them anymore <laughs> a lot of a lot of what what happens is decided for them by production like i remember in season 13 we have mark and bill saying oh the amazing race is the world's biggest game board so just you know you can go anywhere you can do anything you you want it's just don't be last to that pit stop but now it's like well it's not really that big of a game board since there's a lot of restrictions and what to do now but here it's like man forgot what it was like when it was completely open world for Amazing Race. It's gone in Amazing Race 13 from the world's biggest game board to, after Amazing Race 32, the world's biggest funicular. Just on the rails, going straight up. Yeah, you know, don't step over the side. (laughs) Just take your pictures, get on up. (laughs) It's turned into the world's largest trolley problem. Yeah, or I guess it's, or I guess I should have said the the game with the biggest game board. (laughs) Anyways, so yeah, we get that initial dash. I think Derek and Drew slaughter the teams in this initial sprint. Apparently, apparently they love to sprint in this first episode. They're not too fond of relying on vehicles too much. <laughs> and then, yeah, then we get a lot of scenes before we even make it to the airport. It's not like now where you get maybe just the quick the quick team intro actually happens during the initial dash to the airport, so it's just a couple minutes, and then boom, they're flying to their first destination. That's the tradition now here. It's like, no, we're going to get, I think it's about 12 minutes of the 43 minutes of running time before we even get to Mexico City, I think. Could be even longer. So we're actually going to see teams cutting each other off on the highway. We're going to see Andre and Damon. For some reason, this scene always stuck out to me, but they burn through a red light so bad, I'm like, oh. Well, that's the first strike against why they cut down on self-drive legs. <laughs> it's great when the when the firefighter and cop are the are, are the first team to break the law. <laughs> I'm quite surprised they never got a penalty on that because they do have to follow the traffic rules. Maybe because it was early on, like it's season three. 
Season two, they were already giving Gary and Dave about a thousand traffic penalties, so. Oh, did they? Okay. They got three penalties, I at least two for sure. At least two penalties in season two just for speeding. That's what happened to Gary and Dave. So on the next leg, they're like, well, Gary and Dave actually start this leg like 30 minutes later because they sped for almost the entire leg. I wonder why some of them were caught in traffic on the way to the airport and some weren't. Because they all left at the same time. It's not as though, well, when 15, 20 minutes can make a big difference with traffic. I found it really strange. Some were caught in a lot of traffic. I'm guessing some teams were pulling over for directions or taking different routes to the, or, or turning off of the highway at different times. Mm-hmm. So I think so. if you t- took the wrong road, maybe end up on the highway with hundreds of cars or it was or it aired out of sequence where the earlier teams did run into traffic but i guess when you have 12 teams in a 43 minute episode 43 minutes of running time i guess you can't show everybody being just stuck honking at traffic like god damn it i just want to get to the airport yeah (laughs) and then yeah we actually have to see teams try to figure out how to get to the airport and we get the first sign that tramel and talisha might not be doing too well where where Tramel's like, oh man, Talisha, you're not doing too well. This team is so lucky to have me. It's like, oh man, Tramel, is the team really so lucky to have you? <laughs> and then, of course, we get the first flow F-bomb because Heather and Eve, Eve behind the wheel is surprisingly effective in this leg. It's not the first time that Eve is going to piss off another team with her driving skills, but in this case, her driving skills were actually good and was able to overtake a passive Zach. She didn't have much room, but she just pulled it right in there to, you know, get that two-second advantage on the road. I mean, is there a better introduction to Flo than her swearing at Eve's driving? I'm not sure there is. It's like the first really memorable quote of the whole season that I think people remember is, Zach, what the the F is this? Go as fast as they're going. (laughs) I do have to say, I do love Flo. Flo is amazing, and I am just teasing her in this episode. Because we're going to get on to her being the banner for this episode, I think, fairly soon. What's funny is that this is the... I think this is the angriest we see Zach the entire season. Because he does actually honk at Heather and Eve and gets, gets noticeably frustrated. Like The situation between him and Flo is going to be an extreme. You think, man, Zach is so patient. He's not really reacting at all, or he's just demonstrates minor frustration but here he's ready to flip off heather and eve and i'm thinking i tend to forget that the angriest moment zach had was just in the first 10 minutes of the season and he just then he's like well i guess this is what i'm in for i better just be calm about it for the rest of the time (laughs) (laughs) and then we actually get a proper scramble to for teams to book their first flight to mexico city where it's a seven five split meaning seven teams are going to be on the first flight Five teams are going to be in the second flight. It's not going to be like season 27 where it's going to be one team on the first flight and 10 teams on the second flight. What a weird twist that was. That didn't work out. And the two flights depart or arrive in Mexico City one hour apart. On the flight thing, I quite like how sneaky this split is because they make sure it's a 7-5 split. And then when we get to the buses fairly soon, they then split them into fours. So that means that whoever is the fastest of the last flight immediately gets a two-hour head start on everyone else. Yeah, I mm-hmm. like that format too when they divide them up on the Hotel Cortez 
a Mexi mini charter buses. <laughs> I just think it's quite sneaky. Yeah, that's what they like to do in the earlier seasons, too, is that you'll have the first flight division. I think in some seasons they're going to divide them up between three flights, I think, to the first destination city, where it's going to be like a 4-4-3 split. Yeah. And then, yeah, then once they get there, they always get that first charter sign, and that splits them up again. And then that's how it is for the rest of the leg. I think this is going to be the standard rule of practice for at least through season seven. I think season nine, they had those helicopters. So yeah, probably the first 10 or 11 seasons or so, this is going to be the way it's going to go down. It's definitely not like it is now. (laughs) And we've already gotten so many character scenes. And then even in figuring out which of the two flights to go for, we're going to get more character scenes. We're going to get Andre and Damon who go underneath the line to cut ahead a bunch of teams. Which, again, it's like, man, the first team who really breaks... They break the law first with going through the red light, and then they break through very basic airport etiquette, like cutting in front of everybody else by going (laughs) underneath the line. Aaron's like, who the hell are these guys? So that's how it's going to be played, huh? (laughs) And then I don't think people are really aware of this at the time, but I bet you this has to contribute to why Andre and Damon have a really, really tough time with finding teams who want to align with them. In fact, it's going to be get so desperate for Andre and Damon that they have to pay to be in, a, in an alliance. They actually have to pay teams money to be like, hey, can you align with us? <laughs> I mean, they don't make the best first impression to any of these teams. Yeah, because Derek and Drew were the ones who noticed them burning through the red light, and then Aaron and Ariane are the ones who noticed them sneaking through the... Not really sneaking, I think it was pretty blatant, but going underneath the line, I'm thinking... Warren must have gotten around at the airport there as to what happened. I think if there's one rule that Amazing Race 32 taught us, it's try and be nice to people for the first couple of legs because it could get you dragged to Final Five. Mm. Yeah, and look at Ken and Gerard here too. I mean, they, they, they have their own dispute. I know we're fast-forwarding a bit, no pun intended, to the fast-forward and Ken and Gerard are like, well, do we tell Derek and Drew that we got the fast-forward like we, like we said we would about half an hour ago? Or do we just go ahead to the pit stop and say, screw them? And then, yeah, it was kind of says, yeah, we have to tell them that we that we got the fast forward. And I think that's going to really pay dividends for what starts happening in leg three in terms of alliances. That's the thing, though. Did they have anything to lose by telling Derek and Drew they'd got the fast forward? No. No, because no, they, yeah, they were going to get first no matter what. The one benefit for them that could have happened is they made Derek and Drew dick around so long at the plaza that they missed their bus. But was that likely to happen? Probably not. And they would have inevitably let Derek and Drew catch up with the other two teams on that bus. Derek and Drew then probably power through a challenge and come back to bite them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's funny, Terry and Ian's rationale for picking the flight that has the later departure time, why they chose the Air Mexico later flight, because... I can't believe this actually happens, but Ian says, well, we should fly Air Mexico because for our honeymoon, we flew with Air, with Aero Mexico. And then Terry jumps in and says, that was 20 years ago, Ian. How, how do you even remember that? <laughs> and would the airline still have the same rule for who takes the direct flight 20 years later? Where it's like, yeah... Aeromexico is going to be better than American Airlines because of what happened on a honeymoon, because based on what flights you took on a honeymoon in 1979. 
<laughs> I love how she just can't remember. Yeah, she's like, I don't even remember what airline we flew with. That's part of any honeymoon, right? After you get married, you remember what airline you flew with to 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 Mexico. Michelle had better things to think about on her honeymoon, like, you know, careening wallabies off a mountain. <laughs> no, that was engagement. <laughs> no, what I was thinking on the honeymoon are all my fish okay, because I had fish on every table at my wedding. So at the end of the night, I'm like, who wants to take fish home? Take fish home. <laughs> Where did you go on honeymoon out of interest, Michelle? I don't think we've ever discussed this. We actually went on a cruise. Ah, very nice. Here, everyone just goes to Hawaii for for their honeymoon. <laughs> everyone in Canada does that for some reason. It's either either you go to Hawaii or you go to the Caribbean. Yeah, well, that's easy. They're just easy spots. Yeah, they're close and they're cheap. Well, Hawaii's not cheap. It's cheap to get there, not cheap once you're there. So, anyways, so it's better if I just say who's on the second flight. So, the second flight is Tramel and Talisha, Jean and Sylvia, Terry and Ian. Ken and Chard and Derek and Drew. So we're going to get a lot of the really important teams, a couple of not so important teams on the second flight. And then the first flight is everybody else. <laughs> Just because there's 12 teams and so many damn teams to go through. And when they land in Mexico City with the first seven teams, Flo and Zach are already fighting over how much money to spend. Zach tries to get away with paying the taxi driver less money, saying, what? We don't have 400, 400 pesos. And then Flo is like, don't fuck with the taxi driver, Zach. Please just pay him the full fare or he's not going to take us or or rather he's not going to take us as quickly if he doesn't think he's going to get that much money from you. On the subject of the flight, I think this is one of the shortest first leg flights we've ever seen. Mm. It's a smidge over three hours, the flight. All in terms of actual distance, I thought you meant in terms of their time. Like, I don't know. I think it's pretty on par, <laughs> except for the 90-minute episodes. In terms of actual flight time, it's a very, very short flight. Yeah, because, well, it's just Miami to Mexico City, yeah. That's probably why they chose Miami as a starting line. It's like, well, if we're not going to do this in California, New York, and we're going to make Mexico City the first destination, probably easiest spot to pick is the city in America with the highest Spanish population <laughs> or the biggest Mexican population. The first flight departed at 1.40 p.m. Miami time and landed at 4 p.m. in Mexico. Mexico's an hour behind. Yeah, and then the second flight landed at 4.47, if I recall, from the episode. Um, we didn't mention the um, begging at the airport for money. We don't see that. Oh, like, shit, yeah, I did, have that. I did have that note in there. Over $50. They did so well. I think they got more than 50 Did we? Who yeah, because when they recounted like 45 50 here are the ones. And I assume they would have just gotten a dollar here, a dollar there from quite a few people, too. That's not allowed anymore. That's definitely a rule change that no. happens pretty damn fast. <laughs> I think that I think that rule change I think comes to a, an effect by probably by next season. I don't think this all went over too well. <laughs> They're like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have teams use their sexuality to try and get money from locals. I liked it. <laughs> I was like, go girls. <laughs> well, I guess we had the non-elimination penalty where teams had to beg for money. So I guess technically you would say this rule would be gone by season 10 where they weren't allowed to beg for money under any circumstances. Or who knows, maybe even by season four, they said you can only beg for money if you have no no money left. Blake and Paige definitely begged for money at the airport in season two. They had the infamous 
sign written up on a cardboard on a piece of cardboard saying we are on a CBS reality show please give us money because we're not given enough by the production crew <laughs> and then here we have Heather Neve saying ah well we have a hundred dollars to the leg it's probably gonna be good enough but can you just give us some extra cash please <laughs> and I'm sure producers are like hmm that we don't we do not want this to become a routine thing we only want this to be like a special twist in the future so that's how that's how heather and eve's other big introduction to the audience is it's i think it stirs up a lot of negativity for the audience like oh here's the young all-female team who are using their looks to try and get ahead that's definitely gonna piss off a good chunk of the audience and then Ariane's quote seems to, to use what goes around comes around because I think she says it about Andre and Damon going through the whole line. And what's funny is I think in a couple episodes, she's going to say what comes around goes around. So she's not going to be able to figure out how to properly use this quote in a couple episodes from now. But for some reason, it's her go-to quote. <laughs> and yes, now we're in Mexico City and they have to find the Angel of Independence which is a big landmark there, one of many, many landmarks in a North America's largest city. And if you're looking for the answer to the trivia question, who was the first team to find the first clue box in season three? It was Arn and Ariane of all teams. And they open the clue and they find out that they have to find a guy named Pablo, one of over 21 million people in Mexico City. And there's a picture of him in front of the distinct landmark, which ends up, I think, being one of the cathedrals or the cathedral in Zocalo Square. And they got to find this guy. And surprisingly, Mexico City's population is still at about 21 million people. It's officially listed as 21.8 million people, making it still the largest metropolitan area in all of North America. So 19 years later, it still holds that title. I'm surprised the population didn't grow even higher. Yeah, that's weird. I, I guess there's only so many people you can fit on that plateau. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun history as to how that city was built. Anyways, the second flight uh, gets in, and then this is where we get Terry's quote of, winning is everything, winning is fun. <laughs> and I think to make the first clue in Zocalo Square just a bit tougher is if the picture of Pablo is a bit more zoomed in. I think that would have been more amusing. Be like, well, this could be any place. Do we seriously have to search through 21 million people for this one guy? But this isn't race across the world, so they're not going to make things impossible like that. So they get to Zocalo Square. I think the order pretty much stays the same in terms of when people get that first clue. I think Aaron and Ariane still hold on to their first place position. In fact, I don't think there's really any variation to when teams get to Zocalo Square after they get to the Angel of Independence. Then they find out, oh, it's the classic season premiere tradition of go sign up for this charter boat slash bus slash plane. You'll divide amongst three, three charters, four teams on each. You'll depart two hours apart. And as we said earlier, this means that even though there's a 7-5 split between the flights, that means the first team from the second flight will be able to sneak onto that second charter unless the team really, really screws up with finding the Angel of Independence in Zocalo Square. And what's funny is when... I think Arn and Ariane, they're also first to sign up for the charters that the lady behind the counter said, what time do you want to depart in the morning on the bus? And I'm thinking, 
you think they're going to choose the 10 a.m. or noon bus? I think they're going to choose the 8 a.m. bus. I don't think you really have to ask them. I don't think a team is going to be thinking, oh, no, I really I really need to sleep in. That was a long two-hour flight we took early this afternoon. Definitely put me on that 10 a.m. bus. <laughs> Maybe she just thought that Terry and Ian were ahead and that they were likely to go for the safe option and go for a later, a later bus just to be safe. <laughs> two things. Um, we don't see that very much now where there's two hours between the buses because they like to keep them closer together. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, we don't usually see them do charter buses anymore because it, it stretches people too far apart. Yeah. And this is a trivia question. I want to know, because we heard the infamous line, Rapido, Rapido, when was the first time Rapido was used in a non-Spanish-speaking country? I thought one of you would know. Obviously, this is a Spanish-speaking country, but it just came up and I thought, oh, when do they start using it in other countries? I mean, I guess probably they would have, I'm sure some teams would have used it in the Brazil leg of season two. Oh, got that early. Okay. I would think so, because I'm sure, because there, because there is a fair amount of people in Brazil who do speak Spanish, and Spanish and Portuguese have a, have a lot of overlap. Hmm. I would assume. I would assume so. I'm trying to think of season one if it would have been used at all, but I'm trying to think of the route if there would have been an area with maybe France. <laughs> oh, God. I could see that happening, or maybe in New York City if they had a Spanish-speaking taxi driver at oh, the, yeah. <laughs> towards the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say the Brazil leg in season two would definitely be an early example than this. Hmm. It seems like something Taryn Will would say. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, the buses are two hours apart, so it's yeah. This, that means the day is going to start four hours after the first bus, which I think is even more surprising for people to see today, because most legs of the Amazing Race are typically done in in four hours. So if that were to happen today, you would have teams already done the whole the whole, their whole leg by the time. Uh, a third of the teams have even started. Mm. And then, of course, we don't actually get to see too much footage of it, but it's one of those rare opportunities where it's the first leg, and because there was only these two route markers, like that's another thing people forget, too, is that in the earlier seasons, it was more find this thing, find that thing. It wasn't really so much about tasks being always the, the focus point of each episode. I think that's that's a that's a major thing from the earlier seasons. Like, yeah, we're gonna make them do one or two challenges each episode, but some of the detours or roadblocks are very well going to be just look for this location or just do this thing in a very limited area. It's not gonna be like, say, a dozen seasons later where where people are gonna be reviewing episodes based on what the tasks are, or we're gonna see a lot more footage of the tasks. Like here in this episode, we just get the one task, which was the detour of skydiving or or a guy in the donkeys. And we're not really going to see much footage of each detour task in this episode, despite it being the only task. And in the next episode, I think it's going to be a similar thing, too, where the footage is going to be focused a lot more on the journey and the adventure aspect of it, which I personally prefer about Amazing Race a lot more rather mm. than, oh... Let's focus on this ditch vaulting, which 
all teams are going to do within 20 seconds. So you're going to see every second of this footage. <laughs> it's almost like you've just recapped the, uh, the Netherlands leg of 21. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I can't tell but point that out too, because that's a big deal about the earlier seasons is that they didn't really focus on too much footage of the actual detours and Roblox. Like they weren't pushed out per se, but it's not like, Oh, we're going to see teams suddenly get on this plane Two seconds later, they're in a cab. Two seconds later, they're at the task. Now let's spend 10 minutes at this task. That might not be the most exciting thing to watch. This was focused a lot more on the relationships in the earlier seasons. Oh, I forgot to mention, before we got on the buses, we saw teams brushing teeth, like getting ready. It was really weird. It's not normal. Yeah, oddly enough, people don't realize this, but people do brush their teeth. Unless you're Andre and Damon at the start of the next episode, in which case you don't even get to brush your teeth in the morning because you sleep through your pit start time. <laughs> That's another thing that uh, we're not really going to see happen. I think Andre and Damon are going to be the last team for for a while that sleep through their pit start time. I think it might happen once or twice more in the earlier seasons and then we haven't heard anything about teams sleeping through their pit start time now and i can't even think of the last time i mean contrary to popular belief watching people root around in their mouths could be unpleasant <laughs> as they say in season 14 <laughs> and uh we get gene and sylvia's big scene oh man this is the winner's edit for gene and sylvia we see them go into a grocery store we see them shop for a couple things. A little girl runs up to Sylvia. Jean and Sylvia talk about how, how they miss their kids at home. And then Gina says, we have to win. We have no choice. I'm like, oh, great winners quote Jean and Sylvia. Let's check in on that in about the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we have to win. There is no other option. Or we have to win or at least get very close to it. And, uh, oh. One thing I did miss out on from when teams were at Zoclo Square is there was a boy who was clearly mugging for the camera when the teams from the second flight uh, found Pablo. I don't know if it was Pablo's son or his cousin or whoever it was, but he was certainly mugging for the camera. Contrast that with uh, Derek and Drew's experience with their taxi driver at Zoclo Square, and it's a different type of mugging, potentially. Yeah, luckily the, the taxi driver wasn't trying to sell their passports and possessions on the black market. And we get a very interesting format. Believe it or not, once upon a time in the Amazing Race, they had a fast forward on each leg of the race. I know I mentioned this a few times, but one of the reasons why in the first ORG or the first online reality gaming series I played and why the host gave up on Amazing Race was after they stopped doing the weekly fast forwards because at the time, and I think still to this day, was the most strategic component of each season was figuring out when to use your fast forward because there would be, I think there was, there were 11 fast forwards offered every season. So you had to figure out what, when do you, when do you use it? When do you use your fast forward to try and get ahead? Do you use it early so you don't make those early mistakes so you can, so you can get adjusted to the race and get through the initial learning curve? Do you save it for later on so you can survive the final five or final four elimination leg and just hope you don't get eliminated early on? Do you time it so that you don't have to compete against another team to go for the fast forward? Like there were a lot of layers of strategy to the fast forward in these first four seasons, which is which is really welcoming to see again because I'm still upset this hasn't been brought back. In principle, would you go for a fast forward early or leave it? 
Well, I guess in this first leg, it depends on... Because th this is interesting about the timing of the fast-forward is teams didn't get to decide about whether or not to go for the fast-forward until they had already picked their charter bus. So the surprising thing is here is that only two of the four teams on that last charter bus go for the fast-forward. It's like you have a one in four shot of being eliminated on the first leg. How do you all not try to fight for this fast-forward? Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing about this scenario is... It's not like you're losing any time over going to the detour. Like the fast forward started at 8 a.m., which is when the first bus departed. So teams effectively have four hours to already be at the fast forward location, find it amongst a few of the street typists, and then make their way back to the charter bus station and get on their charter bus. Like there really wasn't any sort of risk to not going for this fast forward when you have such a high chance of going home on the first leg. Because no one wants to be the first ones out. And yet it's just Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew who go for the fast forward. And then it kind of makes sense as to why teams like Gene and Sylvia and Tramel and Talisha go home so early. And, and the fact that they're the two teams who don't go for this fast forward. <laughs> so, so you already get a sense of who's more strategic. I think... Even if I was on the last bus, I wouldn't want to use up my fast forward on the first leg. But there's only three other teams, and then one of them's going to have the fast forward. So correct, correct my statement from earlier. You have a one in three shot of going home. Yeah. Going home first on the first leg, which would really suck. So in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, we have we have two teams going for the first fast forward, but it's like, wait, there's no real risk here. It's like, yeah, you burn mm. your fast forward on the first leg, but if you don't use it. One in three shot, you're going to go home unless unless a team really, really screws up on the detour. But when you see it's skydiving or donkey burrow, there's not going to be much variation in finishing time, maybe mm. on the donkey task. But the skydiving is like a very, very fixed amount of time for it to finish. So it's like, well, you know, you're close to the pit stop. I think you pretty much have to go for the fast forward because the next time that you're going to have a one in three shot of going home like this is probably going to be close to the end of the game because the charter buses and or charter boats is going to be a tradition of the first leg as opposed to later legs in the season yeah. where, where it's going to be like say four teams on the first bus and then four teams on the second bus but it's like man one in three shot you go home first if you don't go for that fast forward that would really really suck <laughs> yep and then uh we get a lot of fun banter between ken and gerard and Derek and drew because Derek and Drew, because of the taxi, taxi abandoning them, abandoning them at Silkelow Square for such a long time and making them the last ones to sign up for a bus, like, nope, we're not going for a taxi. We're going to run to the street typist. And then Ken and Gerard say, well, we're not. We're going to take a taxi. And sure enough, Ken and Gerard, because they take a taxi, get the fast forward right away <laughs> before Derek and Drew even show up. They actually have to stand around and wait for them to show up to say they got the fast forward. What I thought interesting is that whereas Derek and Drew left their bags, Ken and Gerard took their bags, and you'd think that once you get the fast forward, you're going to go straight to the pit stop. So why wouldn't you take your bags with you instead of having to run back to the hotel to get the bags? It was just a bit strange. Could it be more the fact that they thought if Ken and Gerard don't get the fast forward, then they're going to have to go back and wait until 12 o'clock anyway? Oh, yeah, okay. But still, I'd take the bags. The hours of operation on the fast forward were like 8 o'clock in the morning, I think. So, 8 a.m., yeah. 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., I think. I would have personally taken the bags, though. Of course you would. You're sensible. 
Because if you do get the fast-forward, then you can leave right away. Like, Derek and Drew, if they got the fast-forward, would have had to go back to the hotel and then leave for the pit stop. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess if they thought, well, if we have the fast-forward, what's 10 minutes back to the hotel to get our bags? Well, how, how much time is that really going to cost us when mm-hmm. we now know we can go directly to the pit stop and we're going to have probably a five- or six-hour advantage on the trailing teams? Hmm. Contrasted next season where a leading team is going to go for the first fast forward and still finish the leg in fourth place. (laughs) Good old Monica Arnshuri. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out about the fast forward too is they said hours of operation were 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., but why didn't Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew leave until 10 to 8? Couldn't they just stay outside? I'm going to assume they weren't allowed to leave the hotel until... 8 a.m. or 10 to 8. Yeah. So I'm very surprised that they weren't allowed to just wait outside the plaza with the street typist and then just go in at 8 a.m. and run around. I'm surprised. That's like, well, why would you, in a city of 21 million people, why would you wait till 10 to 8 to go to the next location? It was probably a manager rest period where nobody was allowed to leave until 10 to 8 because that was what time the first four teams were boarding their bus. Yeah, I assume that had to be the rule. Otherwise, it's like, no, they're not going to be that dumb. <laughs> Derek and Drew aren't going to go back to the hotel and be like, oh, if only we like left here at like 7 and waited outside, we would have beat Kenneth Gerard. <laughs> and then we got the famous quote of Ken and Gerard seeing Derek and Drew and then Ken saying, oh man, they actually sweat those gods. <laughs> and... No wonder they started dating because Drew has the quote, I don't think I have it in me to do this anymore. <laughs> like Drew was actually the first one to throw in the towel on this season. And it, and it happens even before the first detour, just because him and Derek have had such a piss poor performance over the first 24 hours. And then we get probably the most forgettable detour in forever. I have like five notes total in this, three of which are the detour. Yeah. Wings or wheels? Once upon a time, an amazing race. I think every single season for the first 10 seasons, yeah, I think season 10 is when they pretty much stopped doing it, was they would have teams give the options, give the option for teams to go skydiving. They love to incorporate skydiving in the first 10 seasons. I think Bertram is a big skydiver. He really likes doing that. So I think that's why I like to incorporate because it's like the ultimate daring, adventurous thing to do. What are you going to do? What's going to provide a lot of great scenic camera shots? Skydiving. I'm trying to think, uh, when was the last skydiving task? I want to, was it the Travelocity Gnome? Beckham Floyd's Fast Forward 29. Was there a task where just teams in general could go skydiving? Or would that have even been before the Travelocity Gnome did? 24's final task? In the roadblock? Oh, to get to the finish line? Yeah. So it's been always some sort of special task then for a while now. Yeah, I can't think of any um, any later than that, because I think the one before that was season 20 with uh, the first roadblock. Right. Who's got a better sense of direction? Oh, no, 23. It didn't 23, or, or 23, I guess, wasn't an actual skydiving. It was more, uh, was, or was, that, was, was that more parasailing or something? Or was that a skydive? 23 was parasailing and then had the fast forward of jumping off the Donatarm. Right. So yeah, here in these first 10 seasons, I think it was 
pretty much an annual tradition that they would do skydiving. And I, I know a lot of fans were complaining like, oh, we see skydiving every season. So then production just made it a lot more of a rare thing. But here it's like, here we go. We have skydiving. And here you get to watch eight teams. Because it was the same thing every season. Oh, one team's going to be too scared to do it. Who is it going to be? We're going to cut to commercial, come back, and then they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> have you been skydiving, Michelle? No. No, it's no, I never would unless I had to, and it would be tandem, and then it's like committing suicide. No, awful. We finally found a challenge Michelle wouldn't do. <laughs> After all this time, we have finally found a challenge Michelle would not do. Oh, look, I'd have to do it. I'd do it in tandem, obviously. You don't have to do it individually, but oh, I'd be terrified. Yeah, it, I would never do it. <laughs> <laughs> I might. I mean, I'd be absolutely terrified. Because I, actually, I was thinking about this yesterday. Like, would I go skydiving? I think I would because I know how much of an adrenaline rush that would give me. You still need to do the uh, the Greece canal. bungee jump. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Still need to do the Corinth Canal bungee jump. We still need to make that happen. Oh no! <laughs> and you do have to shout, "Love you, Dickakusen!" when you jump. <laughs> it's random. And then. Uh... With this detour, I think everybody, well, initially Flo doesn't want to do skydiving. Believe it or not, she doesn't like heights. And then Zach and Flo get on the donkey and then Zach's like, wait, seven mile course with this donkey? That's not happening. Uh, that's going to take a while. So he makes Flo skydive. Lots of cursing and that her parents are going to kill her for skydiving. Like I know it's a really basic choice. And I know it's one of your favorite screen caps you used on the Toy Story and blog, but Flo's unimpressed face when she sat in the plane makes me giggle every time I see it. Because <laughs> it's it's the it's the epitome of the unimpressed face. <laughs> she just looks so like I can't believe I'm already doing this. I hate this show. <laughs> it's such a ridiculously basic choice from me for the banner for the premiere, but I couldn't resist it when I saw it again. It's so iconic. <laughs> yeah. Fair warning, Flo is probably going to get at least one more banner fairly soon. There's another one that I'm probably going to adapt into a banner. It may or may not be from episode five. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's Flo abseiling. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Flo and Zach actually skydive, and then I don't think anybody who's listening to this is going to remember this, but on the official CBS website, because they were sponsored by T-Mobile at the time. T-Mobile had this weird thing that they released at the start of the season where they had a phone, and then for each button on the phone, you could press to get this quick soundbite, and then Flo's soundbite was, they're going to kill me, and they're going to kill Zach. <laughs> that was the soundbite that you clicked on one of the numbers. And then the other one was Aaron screaming yes. I don't remember the other soundbites, but I just remember those two for some reason. So for some reason, this skydiving task is where t-mobile decide to incorporate its sponsor on the official cbs website fun fact and uh michael and kathy this is going to be the start of their storyline of michael doesn't want to do anything that's too fast or too scary so him and kathy are gonna do are gonna be the only team out from the first bus to uh guide the donkeys, which is going to result in Michael using pure brute strength to push the cart from the back. I have two donkey-themed notes here. One is that Heather and Eve falling off the cart will never not be funny. 
<laughs> because it is so sudden and so brutal. Yeah, because they're like, oh, is this going to take a while? Is this going to be too slow? And then Heather's like, we should go skydiving. <laughs> Feather face plants. Yeah, we're skydiving. He put his face planted <laughs> on the ground. My other brilliant thing about this is in Phil's intro, he said that they have to use a map to direct a donkey cart driver over the seven mile course. And yet the one team who we do not see with a driver is, of course, Terry and Ian, because Ian has seemingly just sent the driver away and done it himself. That's, that's a very Terranian thing to do, like, ah, this guy's too slow, get the hell out of here. <laughs> I would say that the drivers, though, all look like they were teenagers. Yeah, yeah, they were really young. Really, really, yeah. Probably some of the youngest people incorporate into a task in terms of having to guide teams around for an extended period of time. Like, there's a big contrast. Clearly, production wanted everyone to do skydiving because they said, you can either do skydiving, it's over quickly, you're done the detour, bam, you're off to the pit stop, or you ride in a cart led by a slow donkey, you have a map, it's seven miles long, the donkey can't run or anything, and the driver doesn't speak English. <laughs> It's like it's like they add in four layers of difficulty to the other side of the detour. It's like, man, production really, really wanted everyone to go skydiving. It's like pick upon the hints. <laughs> pick upon the hints we're dropping here. And yet we still have four teams choose the donkey task over skydiving, which is really, really surprising. And two of the seven teams did the skydiving very reluctantly. There is no way that Terry and Ian would have done the skydiving. Ian would not have wanted to relinquish control. Yeah. So that that's what happens with the first bus anyway. It's all over and done with. And then, of course, the second bus is the one where Heather and Eve are the only ones to skydive. And Dennis and Andrew, Terry and Ian, and very surprisingly, the team with a firefighter and a cop choose the donkey task. I don't know if Andre Damon just thought it was faster. Like, there's a lot of weird things that happen with them in this episode because jumping ahead to episode two, they actually get a penalty for the Steve Tour because this is good. This is going to shock you, but Andre and Damon break the rule. <laughs> yeah. They run a red light. They cut the line in the airport <laughs> in this detour where they take an alternate course where I think they got a 70 or 80 minute penalty or something ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, because they get bumped down to, because I think at the pit stop, they check in 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 seventh. At the start of the next leg, they depart ninth. They get a 70 or 80 minute penalty, plus they miss their alarm (laughs) for the pit start. God. So Andre and Damon have a very rough first couple of episodes I don't think people really remember, despite them making it quite far into this season. But yeah, it, it's it's a really rough go where it's like, come on, Andre and Damon, just follow the rules, please. Otherwise, you're going to get thrown in jail. Production are probably thinking, what the hell are these guys on? Seriously, why did we cast them? <sighs> and Jill has some proper guns after the skydiving test. It's like, no wonder she got the nickname of Ram Bent. <laughs> How have we not had anyone check in yet, by the way? <laughs> Jesus. Let's see. I don't think I don't really have many notes. I don't have any notes because it's because it's just as soon as te- as soon as teams are done sky the first bus is done skydiving. They read, oh, you have to go to the pit stop. The let me see if I can remember this. The Hacienda de las Palmas. I was going to say, what is the pit stop, Logan? Yeah, Hacienda de las pa- Palmas. I don't remember the town name. Hacienda San Gabriel de las Palmas. Ah, uh, Hacienda San Two Gabriel de las Palmas. 
Gotta love Spanish names where it's a lot longer than English names. <laughs> the last teams check in will be eliminated. Will be eliminated because they're not going to have a non-elimination with twelve teams. <laughs> that would be ludicrous. Ludicrous. Chris Ludicrous Bridges. And then, yep, then we get through. The, the second bus doesn't get a lot of airtime because we know all of them are going to survive since the third bus is two hours behind. Plus three of the four teams pick the donkey task, which isn't as entertaining as Eve having arguably a bigger reaction to skydiving than floated because Eve is actually trying to kick to get away from her tandem instructor when she starts jumping through the air. You can actually see her feet kicking away like, let me go, I want to go somewhere else. That, that's the thing. People remember Flo, obviously, as being moany and all that sort of stuff. But Eve is worse in this episode in terms of her reaction. Eve is worse, I think, in the first through the first four episodes. Eve is much worse because, like, she starts complaining with this detour, and then it really starts to pile up. Especially in episode three. In episode three, she's going to complain about being in pain all the time, and then episode four, she's going to be complaining having multiple meltdowns to the point that she subconsciously subconsciously breaks the rules and gets herself eliminated from the race. So, yeah, Eve definitely, I think, if she were to last beyond episode four, she's, she would be complaining a lot. It would make Flo look better overall, I think. Oh, and then, of course, because Terry Neen ditched the driver, we do get the memorable quote of Terry pulling the donkey, saying, come on, donkey. And then Ian's like, I think it's a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ken and Gerard check into the pit stop in first place. Of course, people love to put asterisks beside the people who win the who win each leg since in the first four seasons, since the fast forward typically typically decided who won the leg, and they win a cruise. It's going to be one of the very few times teams get a worthwhile prize this season. Not just a cruise; it's specifically just a cruise on Royal Caribbean's Voyager of the Seas, which I have been on. <laughs> have you? It's huge. Apparently. I have indeed. Uh, it's not the largest ship I've been on. Ovation's the largest I've been on, which is yeah. about one and a half times the size of Voyager. But I did in 2014 when I did my cruise, uh, when I did my cruise from Hong Kong to Singapore. That was on Voyager, and wow. me and my brother absolutely cleaned up on the quizzes on that cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. There is a pub on board that they did a massive pub quiz in. And as a team of two, we beat all the teams of six and won the biggest quiz of the cruise. <laughs> of course you did. Of course we did. Did you do the quizzes every day? Oh, yeah. And did you win every time? Not every time. We didn't do too badly. That was the cruise where we were going into, they have like this crow's nest bar at the top of the ship called the Viking Crown Lounge. And that was the cruise where we walked into the Viking Crown Lounge where they were doing a music quiz that evening, probably about 10 minutes beforehand. And we walked past this Australian couple and I heard the bloke say to his wife, those guys have just turned up, let's just go to dinner because we can't beat them. That was the proud moment for me. I would think that. I would think if you're regularly winning some, I just look at it and go, Tom, just get out of here. We just don't have a chance. Ovation was the ship um, where we had the That Has Been Noted Lady, which I've told that story a few times on this podcast. Mm. But yeah, Voyager was the uh, We Can't Beat Those Guys, Let's Go Dinner incident. Yeah. And I think of the cruises that they give away for the rest of the season, I think I've been on about half of those ships. Fun. I like a cruise. So do I. I love a cruise. I miss cruising. 
And if you exclude Ken Gerard, Ken Gerard's fast forward, you could say Flo and Zach actually won this leg because they're the next team to check in. And then we get Aaron and Ariane, Michael and Kathy dominate the driving aspect for, I guess, on the way to the pit stop, because they certainly went to beaten the skydivers. They somehow get into the pit stop before John Vito and Jill, who, as we'll find out, aren't the best at driving. I think when Jill was driving, she complained that it her car was getting very smoky, <laughs> or the van was getting very smoky, so... I wouldn't be surprised if there's unaired footage of them needing a replacement van or needing a push start of sorts, because I'm thinking, man, they must have either really sucked at driving or something unlucky happened, because why else would Michael and Kathy be able to sneak ahead in fourth place? But She was murdering that clutch. That's why it was smoking. Yeah. That's why I said she has muscles. And of course, with 12 teams and 43 minutes of airtime in a season premiere, I'm going to guess there was quite a bit of, of useful footage that had to be dropped, unfortunately. They're, gonna, they're not going to start doing 90-minute premieres till next season. And let's see. Then the we can run through the next four teams all check-in. <laughs> Just rattle through them. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Heather and E would have been six. Dennis and Andrew were seventh, I think. Or Terry and Dean were seventh. Andre and Damon. Well, they're not seventh. They're ninth. <laughs> they're currently seventh. They're currently seventh. Yeah, this is before the tradition of, oh, you have a 30-minute penalty, please wait off to the side of the map, then we'll check you in. But uh, for the time being, they don't even mention the penalty in this episode, because gotta love the earlier seasons in that regard. And then we get the last three teams on the last bus coming in, and no one's choosing the donkey here. They know they can't choose the donkey, it's not an option. <laughs> it's like, nope, we have to skydive, instantaneous choice for... Gene and Sylvia, Tremel and Talisha, and Derek and Drew. And really, it's just a, it's a self-drive a drive dash to the pit stop with some unreliable vans. Tremel and, Tr- and Talisha, I should just call them Team TNT because that's the nickname they're going to adopt next episode for some reason. No, you've got to keep calling them Tremel and Talisha. <laughs> yeah, Tremel and Talisha. I want to have and... a, per- a personal editing count of how many times you bugger it up. <laughs> And Gene and Sylvia both have their van breakdown in a push start. We don't know if Derek and Drew need the same treatment either. What's funny is that you sort of get why Gene and Sylvia are going to be first ones out because they don't go for the fast forward to make themselves have a one in three shot going home. Because all three teams finish the skydiving at the same time. I assume this had to be a close race to the pit stop because even when they leave the detour, Tremel and Talisha and Derek and Drew pull over to get directions from locals who are very close to each other. And Sylvia is looking at the map. She's like, oh, I'm still trying to figure out this map. Uh, you just pay attention to what the other two teams are doing. Follow them. And I'm going to try and read this map. She didn't even say for Gina to get out of the van and to join them on getting directions. It was, let's just sit here, wait for them to pull away, and then try to follow them. <laughs> So I'm thinking, hmm, are you really going to beat either of those two teams in a foot race? Probably not, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it makes you wonder, because of production providing them with such unreliable vans and the fact that Derek and Drew weren't shown breaking down, it makes you wonder, if Derek and Drew broke down, would they have lost this leg to Gene and Sylvia? The breaking down and needing a local to help push, did that make the difference? I don't know. And all three teams, I believe, pay locals to guide them to the pit stop because Gene and Sylvia have a local, 
Derek and Drew pay a local $20, which was 20% of the money they were given for this entire leg. Because that rule doesn't go away until season 12. All the way through to the end of the first All-Star season, teams are allowed to hire locals to guide them. And even in this first episode, because we've got the bottom three teams like, well, we don't want to go home. We didn't get the fast forward. So I guess we're going to have to pay locals to guide us. Or wait, I don't know if Tremel and Talisha picked a, paid a local to guide them. Were they allowed to keep the money for the next leg? Yeah. Yeah, carried. Yeah, they didn't yeah, they didn't get any money taken away. This isn't Amazing Race Canada where they get money taken away at the end of every other leg, I think. And Tremel and Talisha are absolutely convinced they're last because they nearly drive onto a road that was freshly paved and see teams pass them on the road as they're trying to back out and also break down their van in the process too, from Talisha slamming on the brakes so damn hard trying to avoid the freshly paved pavement. But yet, Tremel and Talisha beat both of the other teams and have perhaps the biggest celebration of any team ever to reach the pit stop, let alone be the 10th place team in a 12-team season. (laughs) Honestly, I can't think of a bigger celebration like 50 seasons of The Amazing Race. (laughs) And then we have Derek and Drew. It's all suspense. Are we going to have the young models... Young, fit male models get to the pit stop first, or are we going to have the older all-female team get clobbered once again? What do you think happens? The young male models survive. They get 11th, saying, yep, we were the worst out of all 12 teams easily this leg. Jeannie and Sylvia ditch their bags, sprint to the mat, not a team in sight. And they did not win. They did have a choice, and their choice was to not go for the fast forward and guarantee that they were first ones out. And they and they said they did well. They did. I mean, I'm all for teams trying to lift themselves up when they get eliminated. Like, oh, well, that's okay. We really did well. It's like, did you really? Did you really do well, Gene and Sylvia? Because I'm pretty sure you were last everywhere you went <laughs> this episode. It's okay. You you struggled. Good try. Good try. And that is the end of the episode. Yes, it's an iconic one. <laughs> Thoughts on Jean and Sylvia? We've heard not them. much. Yeah, they were there. <laughs> yeah, it's a twelve-team episode, and they have to set up so many storylines. It's like we get the one grocery store scene, and I don't know if they really got other any other scene really. They did badly. They're not a massive loss for the season. No. Because they were just labeled as soccer moms. I don't think we learned they're soccer moms and they miss their kids. I swear those are the only two things that, that we heard about them and they're we have to win quote. And those two things are so inconsequential. Yes, especially when you have everything happening with all of the other teams that are far more memorable in a 12-team, 43-minute episode. Yep. So we got anything else you want to say? No. <laughs> I think you guys are eager to wrap this up. You're picking up on some subtle hints here, Saunders, that I am absolutely dropping. <laughs> so, yeah, next time Mexico causes more breakdowns, Ariane loosens up and Terry and Ian sink. That's our next time trailer. Yep. I thought you said Terry and Ian sing. I'm like, that'd, that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to have them do a karaoke challenge. That's not till Vietnam. <laughs> so. Thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode two. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, TV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Lux Quacky. Michelle is Beth. And I'm MJ Harmstone. 
See you next week. Goodbye. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. God, I haven't heard that forever.